coming up, what's the Lexus RX 350 really like? And if you're in the market for a prestige SUV, should you buy one? That's next. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au, the place where Australian new car buyers save thousands of their next new cars. Hit me up on the website for that. I've got to apologise to you up front, okay? Car reviews take forever to produce. It's a whole day just traipsing across town and back to return and collect the car together with the research, the scripting, the shot listing. If you can do all that in just one day, I'd suggest you are doing quite well indeed. And then there's a couple of days on location for shooting the thing, and of course a day to cut and post the finished product to give the hordes of fake name dickheads and trolls on YouTube something to criticise unreasonably and illiterately, let's not forget that, in the comments feed. And maybe, just maybe, your hard work pays off and becomes a useful resource for actual new car buyers, heaven forbid. The car makers, okay, they lend you the car for a week. So doing a review is a big fat chunk of that week. And my week last week, it just kind of fell apart with other commitments. The booking got bumped for starters. I had to go interstate. And on the one day I had left to do any shooting whatsoever, Murphy's Law intervened and this happened. Followed by this. Finally, cue the glacé cherry for the icing on this cake. This. Which was all especially hard to recover from, and the upshot of which is this. I'm just going to have to sit here on my fat ass in my fat cave and tell you what living with the RX350 for a week was like. So I'm sorry about that if you were expecting the whole typically Michael Bay car review experience. The Lexus RX, and in particular the RX350 that I just spent a week in, is the vehicle I'll always think of as the other Kluger. The Ivy League Kluger for you retardistanis. The eastern suburbs Kluger here in the profoundly up-itself world headquarters of Australia we know as the knee of Sid. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing, at least about the vehicle, not at all. Quite the opposite, in fact. I'm seeing upmarket, well-heeled mum and dad and two big strapping teenagers travelling anywhere. But let's face it, mostly stuck in city traffic. Hashtag reality. But in comparative opulence and with legroom to burn. And if you are that six foot four teenager, the future basketball prodigy, whatever, you will not be riding in the back seat with your kneecaps resting in your eye sockets any longer, liberatingly enough. This is a big five-seater, okay? And nobody in row two needs to pay homage for the ergonomic concessions built in to facilitate row three, because there's no row three to facilitate. Bad if you want to travel with seven passengers, I know, or seven people all up, but good if you've only got a maximum of five ever to stick in the vehicle. This is also a car that is unlikely to give you any trouble, you know, typically Toyota in the DNA. It's dependable, comfortable, quiet, refined, all those things. It goes where you point it to. That's kind of important with vehicles. It keeps up, but 
just so you know, I'm not about to kneel down and unzip Lexus in the manner of some aspiring car review fluffer. RX is just not that exciting, not that dynamic, not even in F Sport trim, which is the one I drove for a week. Lexus has a different take than most on spec levels. There's a base model, but if you step up, you don't go step up, step one, step two, step three, like that through the range. You can veer left to sports luxury, which is tailored more to the luxury end of things, or right to F Sport, which bends more to a sporty demeanor, and they're roughly equivalent. It doesn't mean F Sport's not luxurious or vice versa, it's just an emphasis thing. But with RX, the F-Sport is much more about finishes and visual presentation than it is about the delivery of tangible, outright sportiness. The 350 has absolute heaps of poke in a straight line. A modern 3.5 litre V6 is going to do that. And this is smooth thanks to an 8-speed conventional epicyclic automatic transmission. You've got to rev it to perform, but when you do, it certainly rewards. Highway speed overtaking, no problem. Big trucks, whatever, uphill, big tick from me. And at least Toyota slash Lexus has the good grace to use a proper 60 degree V6 and not one of those Frankenstein friggin' inspired truncated 90 degree V8s. You know the ones I mean. We took the angle grinder to the 5 litre V8 in R&D and look what fell out. I hate those truncated V8s, and I'm looking at you, General Motors. At its core, this is not the vehicle you buy for inherent driving excitement and engagement, okay? And that's just fine. It just kind of depends on you and your driving aspirations and expectations. Most drivers are like this, I think. They wouldn't understand the thrill of tipping a car into a bend hard if it jumped up and bit them on the ass. That's okay. In fact, Doing that kind of thing secretly terrifies this majority of drivers, especially in the wet. So it's all about horses for courses, and RX is right, therefore, for so many SUV buyers, the majority maybe. But cards on the table, I am not one of them, because I'm that kind of sick, twisted freak who wants to drive at times right up to the edge and actually enjoy it. And I know this is a character defect. The challenge for me in reviewing vehicles such as this is I don't want to inflict my driving preferences and my passion upon you. I actually really enjoy the RX in the context of what it does well and who it's intended to appeal to. And I've got a real soft spot, a grudging respect, if you like, for Kluger, with which the RX shares so much of its fundamental DNA. Back when I was doing a lot of freelancing gigs on national TV for A Current Affair on Channel 9 and later on Seven's Today Tonight, I would spend ages some days sitting in the back of a network crew car. There's a cameraman and a sound recorder up the front and a reporter and me talking shit typically endlessly. And the networks all used to drive Commodore or Falcon wagons because... They had long cargo beds and they just swallowed up the gear end on, which is important because lots of long stuff goes in a network crew car. You've got tripods and light stands and stuff like that and a Betacam SP, which they were all using at the time. You know, that's not particularly short in the camera domain either. And in the news domain, all that stuff needs to go in end on, like longitudinally, so you can get it out fast and just extract what you need without clambering over all the other stuff. Because if you miss enough shots because you can't get the gear out quick enough, you can, 
kind of lose your job problematically. And then Holden just stopped making the boxy wagon and they went with the sport wagon, which was trendy, but halfway to a hatch and too short for news crews. And Ford stopped making the wagon altogether and the networks fell into a crew car conveyance black hole, briefly. And I guess, you know, perhaps this would have been good for society overall if the news had just stopped at this point, because it is such an inversion of reality, let's face it. Literally, news is the freak show of current facts. Alain de Botton has an excellent book on this if you're interested. It's called The News, and if you watch the news or listen to it on radio or download it, whatever, however the kids do it these days, you must read that book. Anyway, the networks emerged from this predicament on a fleet of Klugers, hurling themselves out of the black hole and back into the news domain. And crew cars, you know, they get treated so hard. They're always heavily loaded. They're always getting punted. They're always popping the curb. And kindness is not generally extended to them. (laughs) What mechanical sympathy. All they get is serviced. And this is an accelerated life test from hell for any vehicle. And Kluger has just always had that magic DNA. It's a survivor, like the cockroach after President Trump loses his marbles properly that fateful morning and grabs the football and fumbles the big red button. I think that's the first time an Australian motoring journalist has ever used the word cockroach in a Lexus review. Yes. But that's the DNA underpinning the RX, and it's a good thing. It's virtually saying that vehicle. It's saying, yeah... I'm lovely and refined, but treat me like shit, I dare you. And I really won't care. In fact, I will thrive. I double dead dingo's donger, dare you. First time also for dead dingo's donger in a Lexus review as well, I think. How do you tell if a review is sponsored? Well, generally the words cockroach and dead dingo's donger are absent apropos of the product. At least that's what I heard. So... RX and Kluger and this shared DNA, they've got the same wheelbase and their line ball on all the other critical dimensions, implying the same super durable underlying architecture. And they have essentially the same powertrain. The biggest differences are there's an entry-level RX 300 with a 2.0-litre turbo petrol 4 and 6-speed auto, and it's the only front-drive RX you can buy. There's also a hybrid version of the 3.5 V6. It's got slightly less grunt and a 6-speed CVT instead of the internal combustion-only 8-speed auto combination. And frankly... I do not know why you would buy either the 300 or the 450H. You could get a Kluger Grande for much less cash than an RX 300, and it's going to be smoother and have more grip thanks to the superior auto transmission and the all-wheel drive system. And the hybrid's kind of difficult to justify as well because it's $10,000 more than the 350, and therefore the payback period is like... 170,000 kilometres, and anyway, nobody in their right mind spends a hundred grand on a car to start saving money on fuel. If you've got a hundred K for a car, fuel is cheap, to you at least. You do not care what it costs, it is merely a budgetary triviality. If you want to be truly green, you cannot drive a two-ton vehicle without having breathtaking disrespect and or ignorance of basic thermodynamics. If you want to be green, 
catch the friggin' train to work. And that is such an unpalatable option for the rich. Sidelining the 300 and 450H variants of RX, I could absolutely make a strong, compelling case for the RX 350. And this is the RX I would buy, the only RX I would buy. Let's go back to the differences. Over in Klugerville, you know, mainstream motoring, you can get front drive versions of the Atmo V6 as well as all-wheel drive, but with RX350, they're all all-wheel drive. And the biggest difference, apart from the more hatch-like converging roof on the RX and the outrageous snout and grill, which you can see from the International Space Station, which you will either embrace or not, it's a purely subjective consideration, is that Schittsville's Kluger is manufactured in Retardistan, whereas Schittsville's RX emanates from the land of the rising sun itself. It is homegrown, in a sense. The Kluger is tuned to run on 91-ron unleaded petrol, and that's roughly equivalent to 87 in the United States because they use a different rating system called the Anti-Knock Index. But Australian-spec RX demands 95-ron premium unleaded, and as a result... RX here has a slightly higher peak power and torque figure than Kluger, but only slightly. It's not like you're going to feel it. You just need to know not to run RX on 91 or most blends of E10. You have to use 95. A Kluger Grande all-wheel drive, which is the pimp's Cadillac of Kluger's, is going to knock you back about 75 grand on the road, in the traffic, notionally, if you don't get a discount. It's going to have seven seats. RX 350F Sport, that's about 100,000 bucks on the road. It's going to have five seats and it offers 500 kilos less towing capacity. It's got more standard equipment, however. One's a prestige car, clearly, and the other is the Camry of soft SUVs. So the obvious question is, is it really worth paying 30% more for the Lexus? Objectively, the Lexus is more polished, you've stepped up certainly, but the law of diminishing returns is also in play and it's certainly not 30% better. RX350 is a good choice if you've got the cash and the brand moves you in some primal way down there, subjectively. It's got robustness and refinement and luxury, it's very well behaved, albeit somewhat unexciting. I'd put it up there with the BMW X4 and X5, the Audi Q5 or 7, Mercedes GL, whatever. And hey, I understand the rush of blood <laughs> below the belt embodied in those brands. And I feel that too from time to time, even with the three-point swastika, despite all I know objectively about the ownership reality there. But I cannot, in good conscience, recommend the four ringhead population gases or Mercedes-Benz to you. My inbox overflows from time to time with the plight of people like you who have made this mistake. Being in an Audi or a Merc as a customer can easily be a chapter straight out of Inferno if something goes wrong. They're both complete asshole brands when it comes to customer support. And this is an unfortunate objective truth in my experience. So if you're gonna shop comparatively, which is something I wholeheartedly support, you should probably compare BMW with Lexus if you know what's good for you. I don't get many BMW complaints and every time I do, I refer them to the Schittsville BMW mothership and they just get acted upon. Frowns go quickly upside down if the complaint is legitimate.
I actually think it's kind of tragic as an indictment of the other two premium Germans that this can even be a point of difference for brands like Lexus and BMW, especially when there's that much money on the table and all you're buying is really a car, SUV, whatever. I guess the gravitational pull of the brands blinds some people to the, the unfortunate truth that when customers gag for it so hard, it empowers an ethically half-baked prestige brand to treat you like crap if that's the way they're wired. Let me know what you think in the comments feed below on that. If you've had some personal experience of this one way or the other, I would love to know, especially if you've had a good experience with Audi or Mercedes-Benz, just for balance, let me know. One thing I can tell you with absolute certainty is that Lexus looks after its customers. If you've got a legitimate problem, okay, it's gonna get sorted at dealer level, no matter how far down the track you are. And this is, of course, the easiest way to keep good customers happy. Other brands could learn a lot from this approach, I'd suggest, you know, that light bulb moment. Customers enjoy being treated as if they matter. Who knew? Before I let you go, okay, personal taste to one side, you know, this strange preference for sporty cars that I have, along with every other car reviewer on the planet, and which I've tried to keep bottled up nicely today, I'll have you know. The only thing I truly hated about the RX was its infotainment system, which is an abomination. Lexus and Toyota, they're so bad at this stuff, and they don't have to be. You and me, take us. We are both already sleeping with Apple and or Google. And I don't know about you, but I'm in a three-way every day with that pair and I enjoy it. You can set your clock by it. In fact, most people don't have a clock anymore, do they? They just do it that way, in the three-way. What a pity car makers typically don't want to know about this and choose to fly solo to some extent or other. Toyota and Lexus more than most. The whole Lexus infotainment interface execution is terrible. It's banjo playing up on Walton Mountain. Terrible. Infotainment navigation, right? It's a crime against HMI best practice in that car and in Lexi generally. The GPS is continually obsessed with giving me school zone warnings even at 2am and I cannot fathom why this is important in a vehicle from a brand that otherwise so has its shit together. I cannot believe they inflict such inherent clunkiness in what is literally the increasingly important centerpiece of connectivity for the vehicle. This is a gaffe in R&D, in product planning, and they need to resolve it urgently. The best thing I can say about this is if you love everything else about that vehicle, you'll probably get used to it, it's functional, everything works, it's just not ideal. There is no such thing as the perfect car. Certainly I have never driven or found one. So leaving that perhaps hypercritical rant to one side, if you've never fantasized about starting from pole position on the grid, and if you're in the market for a robust, reliable and extremely polished not quite a taxi for comfortable family conveyance. And if you've got the cash and you can see the value in elevating yourself above the mainstream, despite that law of diminishing returns kicking in, inflicting itself upon your bank balance, then the RX350 is actually a great option around the $100,000 price point here in Shitsville. If that's you, you should certainly put this car on your test driving shortlist. 